0: Good evening, and welcome to the Legal Eagle Review, an informative and thought-provoking weekly show covering legal issues affecting everyday people. We know that there are many things you could be doing with your time, and we appreciate your decision to share this time with us. I'm Irving Joyner.
1: And I'm April Dawson. We're law professors at North Carolina Central University School of Law, and we're your co-hosts. The Legal Eagle Review is sponsored by the NCCU School of Law. We thank you for joining us this evening.
0: Once again, we are at a uh, critical voting deadline. But aren't we always into one form or another of voting issues? This time it is municipal elections, which are underway. And Tuesday is the magical day when final votes will be cast and tabulated. If you did not vote during early voting, you now have one last opportunity to engage in this critical civic duty, and you should take advantage of this opportunity. This year, we are also concerned about the process of elected bodies, the General Assembly, city and town councils, county commissioners, boards of elections, or or education, rather, are redrawing political boundaries. United States law requires that every 10 years that the United States has to conduct an accurate count of its population in order that political boundaries are reshaped in a manner to maintain the required one person, one vote within our political system. Once drawn, these electoral boundaries will be in place for the next 10 years and will determine, in large part, which political party and candidates will be able to mount successful political campaigns. As such, the redistricting process is extremely important. The law provides that the political party which is in control of the applicable political unit has the ability and the authority to draw these political lines in a manner that best suits their political desires. As such, this political process is open to manipulation, which allows that political party to choose its voters rather than the voters choosing its candidates. This process is called gerrymandering and is regularly engaged in by the political party, which is in the majority at the time. Tonight, we will discuss why the right to vote is critical and how it is impacted by the redistricting process. Joining us for this uh, discussion, our attorney Kyle Brazil, he is the uh, director of civic engagement for North Carolina Counts and Marcus Thompson, who is with Democracy uh, North Carolina. Thank you gentlemen for uh, joining us uh, this evening for this conversation. Now, let me, let me just start us out uh, at, at the outset with, uh, uh, with Kyle and, and Marcus. Can you describe to our audience, and uh, I know that many people are aware of the uh, work that you do, but for the sake of getting us moving forward, can you kind of talk about uh, how uh, the work that you do at NC Counts, uh, Kyle, uh, is uh, important in securing and protecting the right to vote? And then I'm going to raise that same question with Marcus with respect to uh, Democracy in North Carolina.
2: Absolutely, Professor Joyner. And I I think when we look at this, uh, the right to vote and our obligations and what we can do under our Constitution, it really is a three-pronged analysis, right? Um, We can't get to the point of redistricting without first doing the census. And we can't have the census without folks voting and, and stepping up. And they're all interrelated and connected. And so we did a wonderful job with the census. North Carolina turned out. Um, And as a result, we know that our urban areas are growing. North Carolina is becoming a much more diverse state. Um, And from that, we can now do the redistricting work that's important. Uh, And so at NC Counts, we've worked hard to make sure people count that we had an accurate and complete count from the census and that we're moving to redistricting to make sure that communities of interest are heard, that people's voices are heard. the portion of this process that becomes really important, especially related to our right to vote. This is about the people being able to pick who their legislators are and not the other way around. And so we've seen some processes across the country and in North Carolina where the legislature, they draw maps and they end up deciding, well, I can keep power and authority um, if we draw it this way. We had a woman who, spoke up at a hearing a few days ago, and she said it didn't make sense the way her district was drawn because it looked like they had drawn the district just so that they could have a way to include the legislator in her district so that she could maintain power. Um, but there, there's no connection, there's no community connection, there's actually no roads between where they drew that district line in between where the person lives, the legislator lives and the rest of the district. So as we secure our right to vote, and as we continue to speak up at the polls, redistricting plays a crucial part of this so that we can fairly speak up as a community, um, that our communities that those issues that are in our communities embedded in our communities that are special to us, uh, you know, that our legislators are elected to fight for those issues and that we get to pick our legislators and not the
3: other way around.
0: Okay, Marcus.
3: Yeah, I appreciate uh, being here. So Democracy North Carolina uh, is, a, is a nonprofit organization oh. that, that fights for, for voting rights, especially for those that have been historically marginalized when it comes to voting. So that is you know, people of color, women, young people. Uh, we, we really try to make sure that the rules that are in place when it comes to, to voting um, are such that they don't, they don't discount They don't hurt those, those people's vote. And so uh, the redistricting process is right in line with that. So a lot of times, you know, we'll be on a normal year. You know, we work with the board of elections to make sure that we have polling places in the in the right places and that, that you know, um, that, that people aren't moving precincts and that kind of thing that the, the laws when it comes to voting, like, you know, maybe mail-in balloting, all of these things are, we are fighting to make sure that those rules and that the infrastructure of the electoral process uh, (laughs) don't hurt black and brown people and those those groups that are normally hurt. So, uh, and then we actually do election protection to make sure that, you know, when you go to the polls that people actually follow those rules once we fought hard to make sure that they're the case. We try to put uh, policies in place such as a same day registration to make it easier to vote. So all of this work we do to try to make the vote accessible to, to the to the public and especially again those those same groups. So then the redistricting process is right along because you do all of that try to make sure that people can vote and do vote and know what the, the states are. And if the lines are drawn in such a way that it can truly diminish that that power. And and so we have to make sure that you know the lines that are drawn truly represent the communities that are that are in the state and that the the representation that people are voting for is actually in place. And so' it's, uh, we're very, you know we don't do a lot of you know map drawing and that kind of thing, but we do talk to the public to make sure that the public is aware of what's going on in this process and that their voice is able to be heard in the process, that their communities are stood up, that people know where their communities are. And when we see maps that uh, don't reflect the way the communities um, are are actually live and, and exist and their their interests, then it's up to us to make sure the people's voice about that is heard as well. So uh, redistricting uh, is is very much a part of what we do. And a lot of times when you see, uh, you know, lawsuits and that kind of thing, that, that you know, the work that you guys, you know, really focus on, you will hear and see comments from just average everyday people, people that have interfaced with the uh, process through an organization like Democracy North Carolina. And so that's, that's how we uh, interface with this work.
0: We're in the middle of the municipal elections uh, right now. And uh, while some uh, municipalities were able to shift uh, their elections until next year due to the uh, lateness of the uh, census, uh, the release of the census results, can you talk about the importance of people participating in the determination? Of who is representing them at the local level, uh, in light of uh, the responsibility of those local levels to also engage in the redistricting process. So, Kyle, you want to start us?
2: Absolutely. And you know, North Carolina as a state, as you all we're all well aware, is a very diverse state. It's you know, we have our mountains, we have our um, we have our beaches, and everything in between. And so. A portion of this work absolutely has to be about a discussion on what is going on at the local level. Now, not every every county has electoral districts for county commissioners. And not every county has a redistricting thing that goes on uh, within the county. But there are a lot of municipalities throughout North Carolina that do have it and a lot of locales that do have it. Um, It's about making sure they participate because these elected officials are going to be in the position to redraw those maps for them. Um, And also beyond that, make decisions, be it the curriculum that's going on in the school. I think we've all realized, if you didn't before, we've come to realize over the last few months and the last half year that school boards have power, right? That That they're doing things, that they're pushing certain type of curriculum or not. And so as we talk about who those elected officials are, it's, it's crucial. You pay attention to, you know, those county commission races, that you pay attention to some of those county board and, and the, um, however your city or your area, how those districts are drawn. And so just as an example, right, you have Cumberland County and we do have Fadeville. That's a municipality that has true electoral districts. Um, there's an initiative, and I believe it is on the ballot, to try to reformulate that, to have to move from um, the current process to at-large districts. Because of that nuance, and because each area in North Carolina is so vastly different, it's important to really hone in on those points, talk to your elected officials, communicate with your neighbors and your community to figure out what is the best uh, process for you all, what is the best type of um, elected uh, official at-large, or or not for that area, um, and so it's important because you have. To, we, we don't get to some of these issues without paying attention to who's running and what their voices are and what they want to do on those local levels. It all filters up to the statewide.
0: Well, right, let me just you know just like since you raised the, the point, what is the difference between at-large elections and district? Uh, elections, particularly when we're talking about at the uh, local uh, local level?
2: Absolutely. So in North Carolina, what we'll typically see are two different, and I'm sure, Professor Joyner, there's many more versions of this, but this is what we'll typically see. Um, you have at-large members who are elected to serve that con- same constituency, um, which is the population of the city as whole. So at-large elections, um, you'll have council members who are elected for the entire city. And so they're at-large for the entire city. You have districts. And so when you have a district process, you're able to hone in on specific areas. And the people in that area elect their district, right? They, They elect those council members who will serve them within their district. And so... When you're talking about some of our communities in North Carolina, some of our communities in North Carolina who may have an impact, um, may be impacted by some of the systemic barriers that we know as a state we have had in the past, right? You look at a city like the wonderful city of my home, Durham, we know that 147, the interstate there was put straight down the middle of an African-American thoroughfare, right? And so as we talk about these systemic barriers that have come into play for decades and decades, um, it's important, I think, to make sure that people's voices are heard and that we have solutions for communities that are facing systemic barriers. Oftentimes, um, when you have districts, those council members who then rise up and become the elected leaders, they may be more versed uh, on the issues within those individual districts, as opposed to having at large, you also have a concentrated effort where, you know, you are focused in on this is your district. We can have, um, if if it's a district that's majority Asian American, majority Hispanic, majority African American, you can rise up and have a leader coming out of that district that truly reflects the values, the opinions of that community.
0: Uh, Marcus, you want to add anything to, to that?
3: Well, just when you when you talk about the um, the question of of the importance of being involved in the redistricting process, even on a city council level or on a county level, you think about you know that's where uh, people first get the connection of, of the the power of politics. And as you, as Kyle said, people are starting to really realize the power of say a school board. You know, something that a lot of times you know you don't think about, but Those people, those individuals have a lot of power when it comes to to what they can do on a local level. When you think about your city council, they they are going to be more responsible for your life experience in your city, more so than, you know, the people worry about the president and the governor, whatever. It's your city council that is going to determine, you know, how your city is going to go. It's your county commissioner, someone that a lot of times people are sleeping on. They're running, you know, there's where a lot of the money is in the county for the schools and all that kind of stuff. And so when we talk about who those people are and your ability to, to vote those people in or out, well, that's where the registering process comes into place. And really all you have to do is look at the politicians. As you said, there, there are, I know, cause I'm getting the phone calls and, and I'm going to the hearings. In fact, when I leave here, I'm, I'm heading to a, you know a hearing um, on local things. They they, they on the local level now. They they jerry, county commissioners are trying to figure out how they can, you know, change the the the, the character of a county commission to make sure that or the, those lines to make sure that particular people stay in power or that certain people don't get in power. He mentioned that uh, that the, the Fayetteville situation where they are literally trying to undo the black power and the gains that have been made in in Cumberland County and Fayetteville uh, over the last you know several years. They're trying to undo that and make it so that they don't have to worry about having, uh, well, I don't want (laughs) to, I got to be careful about assigning, you know, motivations, but it it looks like the black power in in Fayetteville could be seriously compromised if some of these uh, initiatives are successful. So they understand the power of local government. Those are the same people that they start in, you know, as a city council member, as a county commissioner, but then they they go to the state house and to the state senate, and then that's, you know, you know they're they're on the national level, and and that's how it happens. And so, if you have a good experience with your local uh, authorities and your local election process, that is a, that goes a long way of ending the cynicism that we see with people having with their government. When they can get involved on a local level and have good experiences, then they know that their government works, and that's that's the best way for them to uh, make their government work for them. So this gerrymandering is really a problem. Uh, even on the
0: local level. All right, this is the uh, Legal Legal Review, and we're talking about the uh, right to vote and the redistricting uh, process. Our guest uh, this evening, uh, Kyle Brazil, uh, who is the Director of Civic Engagement uh, for uh, North Carolina Counts, and uh, Marcus Thompson, who is with uh, Democracy North Carolina. Uh, we're going to take our break right now. want you to uh, stay with us as we continue this discussion, but we'll be right back.
4: Good evening. My name is Caitlin Chesney, and I'm a current 2L at the North Carolina State University School of Law. And this is your community event spotlight. Are you looking for something to do in Durham? Check out the Civil Rights Legacy Downtown Durham Walking Tour. This event is held every third Saturday at 10 a.m. from now until November 20th. The tour is a great way to learn about the rich history of African-Americans in the city of Durham. You can find more details about this event and register at discoverdurham.com events. My name is Caitlin Chesney, and this is your community event spotlight. Thank you.
0: Okay, we're back on the uh, Legal Legal Review, where we are continuing our conversation uh, regarding the right to vote and the uh, impact of the uh, redistricting process on uh, that uh, fundamental right that we have. Our guests uh, this evening, uh, Attorney Kyle Brazil, who is with uh, North Carolina Counts, uh, and uh, Marcus uh, Thompson, who is with Democracy uh, North Carolina and they were uh, giving us some introductory uh, comments about the uh, right to vote, its importance of that, and uh, how that, uh, the exercise of that right will determine who ends up uh, making the decision uh, as to how to uh, redistrict uh, our uh, community. Uh, Let me just raise with, with both of you starting us back uh, there is this uh, this term that's used in the redistricting process called gerrymandering. Um, is it possible for political districts to be drawn in a way that they are not gerrymandered? So, Marcus, why don't you start us off with that?
3: Uh, I love the question. It's, there's absolutely a way to to draw maps without gerrymandering. It's, it's some, it would be hard to believe it by the way people have carried on over the years, but it it is, it is possible to have what we call fair maps and and a process like that would basically um, not try to take into account the win or loss that the, the map drawing would not be taken into uh, consideration. What party is going to win that, that seat, what party is going to, what, what party is going to be favored by the maps. It would really be, uh, an attempt to draw a map that would just worry about what communities actually work together and have similar interests and need to be grouped together, what what communities uh, are districts, are, um, you know, clustered and, and need a representative to represent that particular group of people. And it's definitely a way to do it. In fact, you know, there have been, um, in North Carolina, you know, we have, the, the, there have been Duke, studies on how to do it. I know there were court cases recently that tried to come up with, you know, an actual algorithm to to talk about, you know, what to try to put a number or really a process where where the court could identify what a gerrymandered district would look like. And so there there are ways to do that where, you know, you really are not trying to favor one party over another. And we're hoping that uh, to put into place eventually something like a independent redistricting commission or something of the like, or some kind of process that would take some of this power out of the hands of the politicians and try to uh, disincentivize the you know, people to, to draw maps that, you know, just favor parties. And so uh, that work is ongoing, but it definitely can be done.
1: And as you're talking about gerrymandering, so there are different types of gerrymandering. So there's, of course, political gerrymandering. There we've seen racial gerrymandering. Can you both, and Kyle, we'll start with you, talk about the difference between the two and what we can oftentimes see as a relationship between the two?
2: Absolutely. Um, and I think, Marcus hit spot on in terms of the political analysis um, and what political gerrymandering is. And so whenever you have a gerrymander, of course you're talking about it's favoring one group or it's favoring one party, right? And so on the political side, um, getting past that could very well mean an independent commission, perhaps a bipartisan commission, um, some type of measure or method in place so that it's fair. And so we look at North Carolina as the example to provide an analysis. We look at North Carolina, um, and we know that there is a, about an f- even split between Democrats, Republicans, and independents thrown in there. And some people say it's 50-50, but you've got a lot of independents in there. And so our state is in fact purple. When we look at our congressional districts, and we're pushing now for 14, with the census, we are adding an additional congressional seat. Um, there's no reason for us to have, right, 10 and four, 10 Republican, or even for that matter, 10 Democrat. I mean, the state is purple, so it should look purple, and there should be competitive districts. And so the political side of that, the political gerrymandering really is doing it in a way that favors one party, Um Sometimes it's illegal, sometimes it's not. And and I don't know all the case law to determine when it's legal and when it's not. But I think in terms of what's fair for the people, we need a process that's fair for the people. On the race side, um, I don't think we can talk about racial gerrymandering without talking about history and race equity in this country, right? And so, the examples of race racial gerrymandering for the United States, the examples usually come from North Carolina, and they come from the a example when they split a campus down the middle, and so you had people who were best friends, went to school together, they show up on election, realize one of them, and so they split the campus down the middle, and what that resulted in was that political power of those students was no longer concentrated. It was diluted. Um, and, and, and that's, you know, the purpose to dilute the power. Sometimes it's a concentration, but it still ends up not working out. Right. And so we had the 12th district in North Carolina that went from Mecklenburg all the way up to near Durham. Right. And so the, the idea was that we would have one black elected official guarantee from the 12th district, but the two same in Forsyth are not the same in Dilford, right? These are distinct different communities, even though they're African American. And even though that they were um, electing African American candidates at a rate of about 84%, had those districts been fairly drawn there could have been two or three African-American candidates winning those elections as opposed to just one from this, you know, more district. And so I think absolutely when we talk about racial gerrymandering, we have to use a racial equity lens. We have to look at that data. I want to just say that the criteria that North Carolina, uh, the legislature adopted is that we will not use race data at all for the drawing of these maps during this cycle. And I think that's a further conversation and there's some issues there um, with that criteria.
3: And and if I could just add one thing real quick, I really appreciate um, what you said, Kyle. And you know, what you find a lot of times when it comes to the two different types of gerrymandering is that political parties will say when they being accused of uh, having racial gerrymanders, they'll say, no, we didn't mean to to gerrymander you because of your race. We were doing it because you're a Democrat. We're doing it it's a it's a partisan gerrymander because you know the, the 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 Voting Rights Act specifically, you know, has protections for gerrymandering or hurting the, the black vote. So they're saying, we're not doing this to you because you're black, we're doing this to you because you're because you're a Democrat. And so they try to use that as as a as a rationale for uh for their actions. But so we see there is a relationship between uh you know, political gerrymandering and, and racial gerrymandering, and and you know, we've been successful in you know in the courts as you know fighting racial gerrymandering again because you have the Voting Rights Act. But the Supreme Court, unfortunately, when it comes to political gerrymanders, is just basically giving us the you know giving people the green light to do whatever they want to do under under that. And so, um, but fortunately, I, I think that and you guys know better than me, the, the North Carolina Constitution. Isn't uh, isn't allowing so we, we do have help there in North Carolina, but it's it is funny the relationship between those two.
1: Marcus, something that Kyle touched upon are these coalition districts, and when you pack groups into one district, and and as he mentioned, you know uh, with the twelfth district. Uh, the candidate of choice wins by 80 some odd percent. What it does is it prevents having those districts that are competitive and having representatives that have to speak to the needs of their districts. Can you talk about the importance of having districts that that are not 85 percent, you know, one or the other and, and where you can have candidates really focus on building coalitions?
3: Yeah, absolutely. And what we're talking about when we, when we talk about that is power. Uh, you know, how much power does a group of people have uh, to to control, to uh, influence the, the government? And so when you have uh, what we call a packed district where you have, you know, 85 percent, you know, victory, that's a that's a lot of uh, I hate to use this term, but I think there has been a court terminology call it like wasted votes where you know, you didn't need that that many people to get that amount of power, and so there there's more power there than what is uh, than what you'll see represented in the legislature because that in the legislature because, um, because of packing like that, and so it really just diminishes the, the power of that community, and uh, and it, and it's it's a terrible thing because you think about you know if you got um, a group of people that, and as Kyle said, where there could be two or three districts that represent that area because that population is there and that population actually has those same interests but but that power is that is that's how that power should be uh represented in the government but it's not that's that's cheating those people out of their power that's cheating and it really hurts all of us because that's a large group of people who don't get the representation that they need and so those are large of people that are unhappy with their government and with you know the way the government deals with them and their lives and so we all lose And that's the thing that I really want people to understand. You know, you think it's hurting black people or a certain type of person is hurt, but we're all hurt when the government is a representative of the people, because when the most people get their lives and their government working for them, then we all benefit from that. And so we're all hurt when that doesn't happen.
0: Both of you mentioned earlier, uh, the effort in uh, Cumberland County to change the way that the, uh, county commissioners are uh, elected, Uh, they are moving, uh, they're seeking to move it from a uh, district system to an at large system. What is the practical effect of having an at large uh, election system for uh, county commissioners as as opposed to having uh, district wide? And what would those numbers Look like, or how would they change and impact people within that community?
2: So the the county and the city for Fayetteville versus Cumberland, they look quite different. And so what we what we're seeing in Fayetteville right now, um, and and what some of our friends and partners and organizations that are on the ground, they have a city that is um, predominantly African American. They have an African-American elected elected officials, um, I believe the sheriff to many of the folks who are on council. And so they're able to have competitive campaigns, educate their people, and then within those individual districts speak up and represent the issues that are going on, right? A water issue over here may not be going on over there, but they're able to focus in on what those specific issues are in those districts. If they were to move forward and push this at large system, the, the repercussions for the people in those areas could very well mean that they would lose their voice um, or their voice would become morphed, so that all of these varied issues that they have have to come from one or two voices as opposed to coming from three or four. Um, so I, I think that is that is a real difference um, when you have elected officials that look like the people in that city and you move into a process where it no longer looks like the people of that community.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And one thing that I think about when it comes to that, uh, that change is, so you, the government is of the people. And so when you think about a candidate that lives in a particular district, lives in a particular community and is known by that community, and then that person decides, you know what, I wanna represent this community that knows me and that I know in the government. And so he runs for office. Well, that is one, the the problems of that are, are totally different when he, you know, people know him, he knows them, the money, the amount of money he has to raise, the amount of people he has to talk to, the infrastructure he has to build in order to run for office, is totally different if it's in that district as opposed to now this guy who's known in his district but maybe not in the whole city has to get votes from all over the place. So that's gonna totally disadvantage a guy who just you know knows everyone and maybe get some donations from his friends and runs for office and truly represents his community as opposed to a person that's gotta now be city wide be known citywide, raise money, have yard signs all over the place and have the whole city have to know who he is. So that's going to totally disadvantage that guy who's really from that community. It's only a certain person, a type of person with money and, you know, different connections that's going to now be able to to um, to run for office and win. And so I believe that person is going to be less representative of that district, potentially, than, than the other way around. So that is just not a good thing.
1: And Marcus, you hit upon the money issue, right? And And can both of you talk a little bit about the role that that having uh, affluence or having wealth or having access plays a role because, Marcus, your point about having to, when you're talking about the at-large elections, now having to campaign um, in a wider area and how having access to funds really does play an impact on how you get your message out. Can Can you expand upon that a little bit? And then, Kyle, want to hear your thoughts on that as well.
3: So, if you think about Fayetteville, Fayetteville is a very large uh, area. When it comes, it, it's a large area. Mass when we think about uh, Fayetteville, and so, um, and so, a person running for office, they're going to have to, you know, have yard signs. They're going to have to, you know, have volunteers in all over the city and that kind of thing in order to to actually have their name be you known. It might take, you know, various forms of advertisement. So the amount of money, so I will tell you a candidate, a friend of mine that had ran for mayor talked about, you know, the amount of money that it takes to run for, you know, a district. And then, you know, and it's and then versus citywide. And I'm telling you, it's 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 10 times, maybe 20 times more money that it's gonna take to actually uh, be able to get your name out there. So it's 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 gonna it's totally different. Not to mention um, you know, a person, how much time they have to devote to something like that. So that, again, comes to money, because if you've got a job where you own a business or whatever, and you can just take a month or two off to campaign, well, that's different than a person who, again, is from a particular community, works their job, and then is going to do this when they get off of work. That's, gonna, that's a totally different thing. So time and money and all those things are a big factor in, uh, in the success of a candidate.
1: All right. You're listening to the Legal Eagle Review here on WNCU 90.7 FM. Um, We're going to have to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to hear Kyle Brazil's thoughts on that. Uh, We've been talking this hour about voting and the impact that redistricting is having on the process and the ability of people to Uh, be represented and exercise their right to vote. We have with us here in our Zoom studio, attorney Kyle Brazil, who is the director of civic engagement for the NC Counts organization, and attorney Marcus Thompson of Democracy NC. We'll be right back. We hope you stay with us.
4: Good evening. My name is Caitlin Chesney, and I am a current second year law student at the North Carolina Central University School of Law. And this is your community event spotlight. On Tuesday, November 9th at 7 p.m., Gina Ray McNeil, Professor Emerita of History at the University of North Carolina in Chapel Hill and a scholar of African-American and U.S. Constitutional History, will deliver the 2021 Dr. Sonia Hayes Stone Lecture. Professor McNeil is widely known for her American Bar Association prize winning groundwork, Charles Hamilton Houston, and the Struggle for Civil Rights, recognized as a definitive biography of Houston, Thurgood Marshall's forerunner, law school dean, and mentor. You may register at https://allevents.nin forward slash forward slash and by searching annual Dr. Sonia Hayes Stone Memorial Lecture. My name is Caitlin Chesney, and this is your Community Event Spotlight.
1: And we're back. Thank you again for tuning to the Legal Eagle Review here on WNCU 90.7 FM. I'm April Dawson, and my co-host, Irving Joyner, and I have been talking this hour about the right to vote and the impact that redistricting has on the process. And we have with us here in our Zoom studio, Attorney Kyle Bell, the Director of Civic Engagement for NC Counts, and Attorney Marcus Dawson of Democracy NC., So right before the break, Marcus was sharing his very poignant thoughts about the impact that money has, particularly when we're looking at the district elections versus at-large elections. And Kyle, wanted to have you jump in here and share your thoughts on that issue.
2: Oh, absolutely. I think Marcus did a wonderful job summing it up and providing the context, right? Because that can become a barrier to entry when you move from those Um, you know, those folks who are campaigning within their communities and within their neighborhoods, and now they have at large. So they need to campaign in the entire area. Um, It's a huge barrier to entry. The other point, though, and and I want to tie that into an earlier question um, on the reason why packing is a bad idea, sort of on the other side to that, right? Where we have issues of packing and people are winning at margins at 84%, they often find that there's no need to campaign. There's no need to educate, right? And so you're dealing with a double-edged sword here. If you do gerrymandering on one side, it can it can mean that you have folks who don't get out the vote, folks who don't come to the polls because, oh, so-and-so is gonna win anyway. And then on the other side, you have um, just barrier. It's just too costly because you're trying to campaign in an entire an entire area as opposed to in your own community.
0: Well, let me, you know, on, on 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 the side of being a devil's advocate, not being the devil, but just advocating uh, from the uh, other side, uh, a principle similar to one person, one vote is that uh, majority win and that this is a uh, country in which uh, the majority should rule and the majority uh, should win. Uh, so why isn't it appropriate that the uh, majority decides the methodology uh, in which a person or a community uh, elects its uh, leaders and that if a person is not satisfied with that, they can simply move to uh, another community uh, where they are part of the majority?
2: I um, Great. I think that's a wonderful question. and I, And I really think, though, that the issue that that presents right that that a sense of majority so let's just elect those couple of officials who are going to do uh what we want and just rule with majority rule i mean we have so many examples from history where that's failed um it starts to go towards dictatorship it sounds like right i mean what's the difference between that and and and, and then just having king george come back you know and and undo the revolutionary war um, there's the sense in this country, uh, and I think we all believe in this, it's a part of our constitution, Uh, you you had this in civics class, right, that this is a democracy of representative government. And so it's important to ensure that all of those voices are heard. And and I would, you know, take that a step further, and and not only that they're heard, and they're counted, and that they're valued, um, and that they have a seat at the table, but that we taken into mind some of those disadvantages that some of those people weren't allowed to be at the table in the past. And so let's think through how we can truly make this a representative nation. Um, and, and so the other part to that, and, and I'll, I'll hand it over to you, Marcus, but the other part to that really in my mind is that who's in the majority today, it's not going to look like that in 30 years from now. So I think it's incumbent on all of us to make sure we have a system that can endure, a system um, that can make sure that all of the voices are heard, but also, you know, as the population continues to shift, as we see from these census numbers, um, that people will keep a seat at the table, even as their population declines. I think it's something that we absolutely need and we value because we value everyone's opinion at the table.
3: Yeah, and I really really appreciate that framing. So so in the beginning of this conversation, Kyle mentioned how North Carolina is a pretty uh, some call it 50/50, 50, 50, but it's a purple state. So when we talk about gerrymandering, what you find is not that the majority is trying to draw lines such as a way to to you know represent their you know their their majority. What they're trying to do is use the majority to to take power that they don't really have. So in in a in a state where it, you know, it's about a 50 50 state, then you shouldn't have a 10 4. See, that's gerrymandering. Now, if you drew districts just as a majority, and maybe, you know, it was a, a seven, you know, seven uh, split, and they, they leaned, some of the seats were competitive, but they leaned toward the majority. Well, you know what? I mean, people, I wouldn't have really a problem with that. And that's, you know, we're not advocating for, you know, the the destruction of the power of the majority rule. I mean, because, you know, you think about in the government, in the nation, a lot of times what we'll see is one party has way more power than what their numbers would would account for. So, And that, too, is a form of gerrymandering on the Senate level, whatever. So that's what what we have an issue with is when the lines are drawn in such a way to give a person an unfair political advantage, not an advantage that represents the the actual advantage that they have. And so, so no, so that thing in um, in Fayetteville is is not designed to you know uh, is designed to to take power away from people that have it and and distribute it in such a way that that people that aren't at, have that don't have the numbers will have more power than their numbers account for. So. That's the problem with gerrymandering. I think any system we come up with is always going to, you know, have the the majority is going to have power over that system, but they can't have unfair power. And that's what we push back against.
1: And that has issue in this country when it comes to voting rights. From the very beginning, right? And this goes back to something Kyle said, which is you can't understand, I think you were talking about maybe racial gerrymandering, we can't understand that without understanding the history. And can, can, so I've got two questions for you. So the first is, You know, both of you work for organizations, wonderful organizations, where so much of your work involves educating the public. Uh, How engaged is the community? How, How well are people kind of understanding these issues? And the kind of related question to that is really understand what's going on without understanding the history, without understanding that these tactics are the same tactics that they were using, right, since reconstruction. Um, So let me have you all share your thoughts on that.
2: So great question. And I think for your first point, the community is very engaged. And what we're seeing, though, is that we have a system, especially as it relates to redistricting. Um, you know, when we talk about voting, people understand it, it makes sense. Um, they know to go out and vote. You know, they can go online and they can pick their candidates. When it becomes, when it turns into the census work, which happens, you know, it the census is ongoing, but the census count is every 10 years. People understand, okay, I need to fill out this form. I need to go online for redistricting right? Especially in North Carolina, because it has to be said for the state level redistricting, all of the authorities with the legislature, the governor does not have a veto. And so, you know, we have this um, essentially this process where through resolution, the, the legislature will adopt it. And so people feel disconnected and it's really the work of educating them, making sure they know how they can impact this process And that they speak up in those public hearings that we've had. I think the issue that I have with this process, though, is that in my mind, in a true democracy, that work of educating the people about this process should rest on the legislature, should rest on our elected officials, and so we have these amazing organizations, Democracy NC, C Camps Coalition. We're taking that banner up. So many other organizations in this space that's doing that work. And it's great work, but we're working from that point where the people have not been educated before. Um, and so it, it's trying to do all of those pieces. And then Professor Dawson, just really quickly, because I want to pass it to Marcus, because I know he'll have a great I'm excited to hear what he's going to say for your second question. You can't do this without understanding the history, right? I, I, One of my first mentors, he always would say, if you don't know the past, you're doomed to repeat it. We have instances in this state, right, of a coup d'etat in Wilmington. And I remember learning about that, a Chicago kid learning about that in high school from a professor and, and, and hearing about how the Wilmington um, elected officials after reconstruction were, you know, overthrown. And so we have to know that history. We have to know the context that some of our neighborhoods look the way they look because the people in those neighborhoods were not allowed to live anywhere else, right? Those people in those neighborhoods are there in those property values where if you go, you know, a couple miles away are twice, three times higher, those property values, that turnaround for their future generations, it's what it is because they were forced to live in that area. And so as we talk about power and how we you know, work to, to change this system, we absolutely have to understand the history behind it.
3: Yeah, and, and, I, and I agree with you that um, the people are very much engaged. Um, if you think about it, North Carolina has been drawing maps. You know, most, most states get a chance to draw masks every 10 years. We've been drawing masks, you know, every four or five years because of lawsuits and stuff. So it's amazing the amount of, uh, that people know about redistricting. And, and yet still, you know, college, you know, we just had a training. We had over 200-some people there. And there were still people asking questions about, you know, what is packing? What is cracking? You know, so it, it's, it's both and. You know, there are a lot of people that have been activated about this issue over the years and have helped us in the work. To help us have the successes that we've had, but yet yeah, and, and still, as you as you know as noted, there are there are still people that are learning about it and it has to be glowing. And I love what you said, Kyle, about it should be the General Assembly that that should take the lead of educating people on it because it's their process that's so convoluted that um, you know, and, and it's because they don't really care about community, or at least so far this this iteration of it has not has shown concern for the uh, community and and trying to to hear what, what the people had to say about it. But when you talk about like the history of it, and I, I love that, that question and the points that you make Kyle, because um, one thing that we try to tell people and teach people is that you are part of the same fight that was in the civil rights movement. You're part of that same lineage. This is the same, the same people, you know, or the same uh, ideology that persisted then is it was the same one we're fighting against now. And so you are part of, you're part of history. And people, a lot of times we know, we look back at, you know, the civil rights movement, and even, you know, the the, the, the movement as people were you know, resisting slavery, all that kind of stuff. And you say, well, what would I do, you know, in that moment? You know, how would I be? You can look at your actions right now and it can kind of tell you what, what you will be doing because we are in that same situation right now. It's a different, you know, version of it, but history has been, you know, this fight is ongoing, and so we're we're in that same fight right now, and these are the same tactics. And so uh, you know, we try to remind people that you know this is this is not the beginning of this fight. it's been going the whole time.
0: Yeah, this is a uh, scary time, uh, I think, in a very real sense, that uh, there are people who are focused on uh, maintaining and manipulating power and uh, preventing. Uh, a uh, true representative uh, democracy from existing uh, here in the state. And I think that uh, that is certainly a key thing that we should all keep in mind is that we're talking about a representative government, not a uh, one-sided government that speaks merely to the interests of uh, certain people to the exclusion of uh, of others. And that's why, one, the right to vote is something that we should... uh, uh uh participate in and protect uh at all costs and also that we uh challenge and make sure that the uh, process uh, leading toward elections uh would uh, facilitate uh, those same uh, desires. so uh uh Dean Dawson uh that's uh my little piece of my mind <laughs> on this topic. <laughs>
1: Yeah, and, and in the few minutes we have left, I want to just pick up on something that Kyle said about, you know, the Wilmington coup d'etat. He I'm so here that you learned about it, you know, even in Chicago, because as we all know, there is this movement to strip the history of this country as it relates to race from our educational systems. And we have to think about why and what the long-term implications of that, right? What those implications are, because when we look at in the context of voting rights and and in the context of so many other policy issues, it's the same playbook. And and if you're not aware of that, you may miss it. It may seem innocuous that you're going from, you know, um, district type elections to out at large, it might seem perfectly reasonable. But if you know your history, and you understand and that tactic has been employed you understand what the goal is so you know making sure that we have history um, Marcus you mentioned a training that that I think both of you all did can you share with our audience about maybe upcoming training or if folks are interested in being involved with your organizations uh, how can they reach you
3: so yeah we we recently had a training i'm not sure if we we're going to uh, it was there is something that is being planned called the people's hearing I'm not sure we've been you know because the the legislature come kind of through a monkey wrench at us we had to change our plans so quickly kyle we, we had this thing planned for you know a couple of days from now but because they started drawing maps kyle and and the, the group said hey let's go ahead and have this this thing on a sunday and we got as many people as we could into that training sunday to get them ready for the hearings that happened yesterday uh the monday and yesterday so uh, great job on that. And it, again, it was it was very, uh, it was an awesome training. So uh, I don't know if there is, I'm, we've been talking about that one, maybe another one uh, after the fact, because it, we're not getting a lot of uh, hearings, maybe one more where people that haven't had a chance to, to make their comments heard can, can use that avenue. But you can always reach me at democracync.org. Uh, and you can, you know, look, find my email address and all of that. And we'll always be having, you know, updates about the redistricting process there.
2: And just a quick add on to, to Marcus, um, it was a great training on Sunday and we've been connecting all those pieces, right? There's a group of organizations that are, that's doing this work together um, and, and making sure we're training and advocating for people and getting really training them to advocate for themselves. Um, some of those resources include mapping tools. Uh, there's Princeton gerrymandering project that's out there and a lot of the maps that we've seen at the legislature They have graded them based off of partisanship. There's a lot of Fs on there. I remember my grades from Central. I'm pretty sure the Fs are not good, (laughs) if I recall. Um, But they've graded a lot of those maps. There's also a lot of resources and tools out there. Crafting your testimony. um, Look on our website, nccounts.org. Go to the other websites in the space. There's a lot of great information from Democracy NC, Common Cause North Carolina, the Southern Coalition, for social justice, just to name a few. And then the last thing right now, the call to action, we're pretty sure that the public hearings are done. And so the people's hearing was going to be this this great event that we would have, but unfortunately, because of the timing and not knowing what the legislature was playing, that, that did not happen. But we are collecting videos. And so if you wanna provide an additional comment, please provide that comment to the legislature, go online for that to the North Carolina General Assembly, but also consider sending us a video of your comment. We are compiling them. We wanna hear your voice. We want a groundswell of those comments from the people so that we can then in turn, have this information of who you are, what is important to you and your community of interest.
1: Thank you both. Um, and unfortunately, we're out of time, but we'd like to thank our guest attorney, Kyle Brazil, the director of civic engagement for NC Counts Coalition, and attorney Marcus Thompson of Democracy NC. You all have provided us with wonderful information. Uh, we hope that people will share this episode, which will also be available on our podcast with their friends and their this is such vital information. This is an important uh, topic that we all need to be aware of and make sure that we have our voices heard. And thank you for all of the wonderful work you do with your organizations um, and continue to do it. We'd also like to thank you, our listening audience, for spending your Sunday evening with us. If you have any comments or questions, please send us an email. You can reach us at legal Eagle review at NC. Dot .edu. And as I mentioned, if you ever miss this show on Sunday, you can find the show on our Legal Eagle Review podcast. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Until next week, stay informed, engaged, see, and safe.